Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Slightly Mental Podcast. Today, my guest is Helen Snape. Hello, Helen. How are you? I'm well, Sam. I'm a little bit tired because my brain was overthinking last night, but I'm well. I'm excited about our conversation today. Fantastic. So am I. Uh, Don't worry about not having enough sleep. That's usually, that's like almost every night looks for me. So at least I don't feel alone today. Um, I'll try to introduce you, but if I say something that is not correct, please tell me off or, or correct me. I don't mind as long as we get things right. So you are a coach. You are a quite successful speaker as well. You help people recover from people pleasing. You teach people how to set boundaries. You help women to stand up in the relationships and be authentic. Um, did I miss something? I think that was a fantastic introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm getting better with, with every episode. Um, how did you get to this point in, in a quick snapshot? What led you to do all this work? Mm. In summary, it started with me wanting to change from working in human resources to becoming a coach because I always enjoyed the the more developmental side of things mm-hmm. and and you know coaching and mentoring people and a few people suggested that I became a coach uh, and I eventually listened to them uh, so I I went and trained as a coach with the intention of becoming a career coach because mm-hmm. that would fit very nicely with my HR background um, but as you know Sam you know as you become a coach and you train you you go on your own journey of self-development and learning and along the way I realized that actually that like that wasn't really going to fuel my passion mm-hmm. and that if I was going to become you know a full-time self-employed coach it really needed to be about something that that I'm truly like passionate about and when I really searched my soul it was to help other women that are in a place that I was, I guess, about eight years ago, like just coming to the realization that I was like the ultimate people pleaser, feeling completely stuck about it and not knowing what to do about it. Mm, I totally resonate with that. I was a massive people pleaser. And I think the worst thing about it is that for for years, you don't realize that that's the case. You just want to be nice to everybody. You just want people to get along. You just just want people to be happy, but actually you sacrifice your own happiness. Um, I want to ask a question about um, your relationship, your marriage. You're quite open about it, but uh, if you don't want to go into great details, let's not. Um, you, You have mentioned that it have been an abusive relationship. And um, I would like to find out in what ways or what behaviors your husband presented that you would say are abusive. And and I know it's not probably a pleasant thing to talk about, but I also think there probably are women out there who are going mm-hmm. through similar relationships and maybe they don't even realize that this is not okay, that this is uh, uh, psychological or emotional abuse and maybe it will help them recognize that that actually is not okay so if you can you can talk a little bit about that I would really appreciate yeah yeah so I I mean I didn't recognize the red flags in the relationship from the outset Um, I would say that my ex-husband he started off with uh, what you'd call love bombing Mm. which is where you basically you give somebody like excessive amounts of attention um it's just like over the top you know he would buy me presents he would like visit me like all the time just wanted to spend all his time with me and I didn't recognize it as love bombing I just thought oh wow like he's so into me and Mm. all this attention is amazing Uh, so it's just something to be aware of like if somebody like jumps tries to escalate the relationship really quickly that might be a a little bit of a sign that something's not quite right um and then he began to isolate me from my friends and family um which i kind of went along with because because i was a people pleaser and i wanted to make him happy mm. um but he would find 
reasons to argue with my family mm. that he would he would take umbrage with something that they said and he would say you know that that was an insult to him or it was insulting to me and I didn't understand where he was coming from but you know, but he was my husband so I believed him and I wanted to take his side but it just it just created this this rift between me and my family and I ended up cut off from my family um, you know we moved to a different city so I was like I, I was basically cut off from my friends and so I ended up with like no support network um, so that was that was one thing uh, he was also quite he was also very yeah he was very he was very controlling <laughs> um, so for example you know I wouldn't go and socialize with co-workers after work because he expected me to come home, uh, prepare a meal and, you know, for it to be like on the table by a particular time. And if it wasn't, then, you know, then I was going to pay for that. Mm. Uh, now, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a violent marriage. Um, so I would say it was more like kind of psychological and emotional abuse. But so I just knew, you know, if I didn't kind of comply with what he wanted, then he was going to make my life miserable in one way or another. Mm. You know, either, either he would directly get upset and very angry about it and he would fly into a rage or it would be maybe more subtle. Like he'd, he'd find something else to pick on and go off on one mm. about that. Uh, yeah. Um, and it did, it did begin to escalate towards the end. And I, I think that was one of the things that that prompted me to begin to think differently about our marriage mm -hmm. um, because I, I had very poor boundaries, right? But one of my boundaries was like, if this ever gets physical, I am leaving. Now it never actually got physical, but it was beginning to head that way. So he began, for example, he began spitting when he got angry. Mm. Um, he began to throw bits of paper and tissues, which he didn't used to do before. And I, I could spot this. I was like, this is, this is new. This is different. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is not heading in a direction that, that I'm comfortable with. I think the challenge of being uh, abused physically, sorry, um, psychologically, emotionally, compared to um, physical uh, abuse, the challenge is that somebody slowly destroys you from the inside, isn't it? And it's the challenge is that it's probably much harder to prove that somebody is abusive towards you rather than when somebody is being physically abused, you know, there's some marks, usually a black eye or something like mm. that. Um, yes. And very often those people are very controlling and manipulative. So they know their way around, you know, the system. They know how to talk to the police or whoever want to react. So, yeah, my, my ex-husband was incredibly charming and intelligent. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people didn't get it. Like, you know, what what's what's the problem with him? But yeah. you, know, you don't see what goes on behind closed yeah. doors. How yeah. can you complain about this lovely man? Just look at him. He's so charming. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you find that many women would justify actions of their husband when, they, when they're being abused in a way that, oh, he's just under a lot of stress. You just have to get through this and that. Absolutely. I, I was justifying my husband's behavior all the time. Yeah. Or, or just trying to avoid questions about it because, you know, like, what could I, what could I do about it? But yeah, I, I, and I believed what he told me, you know, that he was under a lot of stress. He thought he had different health conditions. Um, and so I thought, oh, you know, well, oh, it's not really his fault. You know, he had his own um, childhood traumas mm -hmm. as well. So, you know, I felt sorry for him. And I guess in all of that, I just I neglected to take care of myself. Mm. Thank you for being so open and honest. I know it must not be the easiest thing to talk about. Um, I got the copy of your ebook, which is brilliant. If anybody's interested, I have it in a big print, black and white, but you can get it in color. Uh, Building Healthy Boundaries. It's available from your website, helensnape.com. Free even. 
Um, and, I've, and I've read it in massive prints because I don't know how my printer works. So I gave it a little go. Um, and there's a part that um, really stands out for me. Um, right in the beginning, you said, I knew it wasn't my fault that my husband um, had been abusive, but I recognized that I had entered the marriage voluntarily when the warning signs had been there and I had stayed far too long. What stands out for me here is, first of all, a massive amount of courage to actually recognize that this has been going on, this is not good for me, and I have been accepting that in a way, but also a lot of um, self-awareness. Um, so we already mentioned something that he was uh, love bombing in the beginning, but where the other warning signs before you actually got into a serious relationship and got married? Yeah, uh, so in the very beginning, he did occasionally fly into rages. And it was so out of my experience. Like, I just, I didn't know what to make of it. You know, maybe I should have been running in completely the opposite direction. <laughs> but I was just like, I just don't understand this behavior. And, and then, of course, you know, he gave me all the explanations of why he did this and how he felt so bad about it. Um, and so I just ended up feeling sorry for him. Yeah. yeah. So how were you, how were you dealing with all that? Were you were you all, always focused on how he was feeling, or the, what, what was his experience, or how how did you deal with 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 being treated that way for so long? I was like so focused on him. Yeah, like I made my world revolve around mm. him. I thought it was selfish to think about how mm. I was feeling and what I needed. Like that was that wasn't important. Mm. He probably very skillfully reassured you in that. Um, <laughs> um, so, do you remember the moment when you made the final decision to actually leave and create a different life for yourself? Yeah. There's the smile. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think the turning point came when uh, I got a phone call from my mum, mm -hmm. uh, which was very rare because, you know, because we weren't really talking to each other. Um, but she rang me to tell me that she had been diagnosed with myeloma, uh, which is an incurable cancer. And she just, you know, she wanted to let me know. And when she told me that, I realized that I wanted to go and visit them, my parents, and that that was going to be difficult to do because my husband, you know, would expect me to be looking after him. Mm. And it made me really angry. And I was not really in touch with my anger. So that was new. Mm. <laughs> And I just, I just thought this is ridiculous. Like I should be able to go and see my incredibly sick mother when mm. I want to. So that really sparked something inside of me. And it was also that moment of, wow, like life is short. Like life is precious. You know, what am I doing with my life? Um, I don't think that was like the final decision moment that came, you know, after I went to see my mother and I was just, I was in that middle of reevaluating my life, um, but also feeling like I just couldn't cope in my marriage anymore. Like it was all happening at the same time. And so I decided to go and find a therapist. And I think it was that first conversation with a therapist where they simply like validated my experience. Like they just, they validated how I was feeling, my reality. And it was there that I was like, I need, I need to leave my marriage. Mm. It was a great decision. Um, you talk later about um, leaving, and in your book there's a phrase when you uh, talk about sitting on your single bed uh, after you have left. How was that feeling like? Mm. Yeah, so I... When I left my marriage, I, I took the decision that I just needed to pack my bags and leave, mm. like, like when my husband was out at work. 
And so I waited for a day that he, I knew he was going to be out and I booked a taxi and I just packed like a couple of bags and my computer and I had secured a place to go and live, you know, renting a little single bedroom in a flat. Um, yeah. And when I, when I got there, I think I was just overwhelmed with so many emotions, um, kind of shock at what I'd done, like the shock that I'd actually done it. Mm -hmm. um, the beginnings of a huge amount of grief, but also, also feeling a new sense of freedom. Mm. Do you feel courage as well? Did you feel like it made you stronger in any sense? It must have done. I didn't feel courageous. <laughs> I really, really didn't. You know, I, I mainly felt this weird mixture of grief and shock and, and freedom and relief all at the same time but it was quite hard to process what I was feeling because there was just so much of it mm. yeah what would you say to women who have realized that they have been in relationship that is not healthy and potentially even abusive but don't feel like they can leave because maybe they don't have the courage maybe the practicalities of their life will not allow them what would you say to those women for a start it isn't your fault and your experience is real and you need to choose to do what is best for you like what is going to keep you safest because as you say, like, it's all very well for us to like talk about, oh, oh, you know, maybe they need to leave, but it's, that's not always so easy. And it is very hard to leave, you know, a narcissistic or controlling relationship because there is this, this trauma bond. Mm. It's incredibly intense. And it is the case that most people that, come out of an abusive relationship you know, they come out of it after usually many attempts mm -hmm. to do so um so i would say you know find somebody that you can talk to you know whether that's like uh, you know women's aid or um or even like a good friend just somebody that you can talk to that isn't gonna judge you or tell you what to do just so that you have someone that knows what's going on and can give you some support. Also to have um, a, like a, a safety bag, like a, a bag of like real essentials, if you can do that. So like, if you ever do like, just need to leave, you can just leave, you know, even if you do end up going back. Um, and know that you know that you you know if you want to leave you you will do that when you're ready to do it mm. it's a really good not piece of it not because someone tells you to yeah yeah um considering all those experiences that you had with your husband and in your relationship i haven't seen you talking badly about him maybe i missed something but i haven't seen you talking badly about it usually the inclination is that when you realize somebody have been abusive towards you especially for such a long time or somebody been pulling you mistreating you the 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 natural inclination is to talk badly about that person and wish them you know bad things and and, and, and <laughs> all of that what's what's up with that <laughs> um it's compassion mm. for him and I suppose it's my my hope that he will get the help that he needs 
because you know I recognize that even in you know what the in even within like the worst human being ever there is still that part of them that that is well to me is like is divine is mm. you know is is a wonderful being it's just it's it's covered up in a lot of crap mm. it's a really good um, way to put it <laughs> it's covered up in a lot of crap so yeah um so you know so i do talk about like his behavior in our marriage and stuff but um and I, you know, I, I guess it's also that I've just, I've detached from him. Like, I, I don't care really mm. like what he, what he does with his life. Like just good luck to him. Right. Like I, I, I pray that he finds what he needs. He can, he can change and, and have a, a better life. I have no idea whether that's possible. Um, yeah. I think the best revenge is just moving on and mm. creating a better life for yourself and showing the other person that without you, I can still have a good life and healthy life. I think Frank Sinatra Jr. said that the best revenge is a massive success. So uh, that helped me, that helped me massively in the, in the moments when you think about people mistreated you somewhere in the past and sometimes that pops up and the younger shows up and you want to pay them back. And then you realize the best way I can pay them back is if I do something good for myself. Um, so yeah, that's a really good mindset. Um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about people pleasing. What do you mm. think people become people pleasers? Mm. Every, pretty much every person that I've spoken to that identifies as a people pleaser has said that's that funny. it's been a pattern for their whole life. Mm. So that tells me it starts from childhood. And to me, it's a it's a protective pattern that we form. So I describe people pleasing as a pattern, a very well ingrained pattern of behaviors, thoughts, feelings, bodily reactions. And it comes from feeling the need to hide parts of ourselves and to make other people happy so that we can get the love and attention that we need. It's a great way to put it. And I think conditioning by parents and environment also play a role. Uh, thinking about when I was growing up and parents just telling young girls, just be a nice girl and boys, just be a good boy. And we get praise for, you know, just being quiet, playing somewhere quietly in the corner and not causing any trouble. But actually, what I think you want is your your kid to be exploratory and, and experience life. And that it, it's surprising how that shows up in your later life. And and I only realized that I was a people pleaser when I had my crisis and, and uh, uh, I considered suicide. So, yeah, it can get really serious. Yeah. Um, what do you think are negative effects of being a people pleaser in someone's daily life? It affects every area of your life, I believe, because, you know, how you show up in one area of your life tends to be how you show up in every area yeah. of your life. So, you know, in your relationships, for example, it means that they tend to be more shallow than you would like mm. because you're desperately trying to mold yourself or to fit in with what you think the other person wants you to be. And by doing that, they can't really get to know the real you. Yeah. So you're just like presenting this mask. So that goes for, you know, intimate relationships, for friendships. It means that you can end up in friendships that are perhaps like really one-sided, you know, like where you end up listening to the other person's problems for hours and then suddenly there's no time to talk about yourself. That resonates a lot. Um, yeah. I think I think that's the problem. You never have the opportunity to show your true self. You do what you think the other person wants so that you can, as you mentioned before, you get the love and attention, but actually that's not real, is it? It's just like getting a pat on the head, uh, on the head but without creating a stronger bond 
Um, when you've recognized that you were a people pleaser and you started creating boundaries in your life, how did that change your life? It's made my life more manageable and simpler because I'm no longer agreeing to get involved with so much stuff mm. that I would have just said yes to before. Mm -hmm. So it saves me time. It saves me energy. And it actually helps me refocus on what I want to be creating in my own life rather than shaping my life around other people and what they want or what they expect from me. Mm. Yeah. Great. That's a big change. I've noticed that as well, um, that you don't just run around like a headless chicken trying to make everybody happy. Uh, you you focus on on your own well-being. And the flip side of that is that when you look after yourself, then you create stronger boundaries with people. Then you have more to give to people, actually, more meaningful stuff, your time, your attention. And it's not just... Um, attention and time for uh, for praise but it's genuine you don't expect anything back i think there are a lot of misconceptions about boundaries people think that when you start creating boundaries you're just arrogant you're just self-centered uh, cocky um you're just an egoist you know what do you think uh, healthy boundaries are really about <sighs> What I believe healthy boundaries are really about is self-care. It's about how you take care of yourself in all of your relationships. It's about how you teach others how to treat you. Mm. And it's also about knowing where is it that I end and you begin so it's about what is my side of the street? What's your side of the street? So that I'm not taking responsibility for your feelings. I'm not mixing up your issues with my issues. I'm not taking on your problems as my problems. Mm. I think that's quite hard to distinguish, especially if you're in a relationship, isn't it? Because you want to help the other person. You want to be the partner. You want to be support. And sometimes it's easy to get lost in in, in uh, those things and not have boundaries. Um, how would you say um, someone who wants to create boundaries, how would you say they can start? What, what can they do to start create boundaries in their life? Good question, Sam. Thank you. I would begin by, by just educating yourself about boundaries, like just learning about what they are <laughs> and the different types of boundaries that there are so that you can then begin to identify, oh, actually, you know, may maybe I need that boundary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you can begin to also look at prioritizing your boundaries. You can begin to identify, you know, what are my, what are my kind of like just cherry on top, nice to have boundaries? Um, what are ones that are just like desirable? They're like a preference. And what are my, you know, red lines? Like this I've absolutely got to have non-negotiable in a way yeah, boundaries non-negotiable mm. yeah but boundaries are not only about how other people treat us right there are so also internal boundaries yeah yes what would those yes. be what would those relate to so again it to me it does come back to how am i taking care of myself so for example i could have a mental boundary about how long I'm going to let myself worry about something. <laughs> I could say to myself, okay, I'm going to let myself worry about this for 10 minutes. Yeah. And then I'm going to move on. I, I could have a, you know, a, like a, a boundary around exercise. Like I could be like, well, I want to take care of my body. So I'm going to make sure that I take myself out for a walk like every day. 
small small things it can be like little small things or it could be around my use of social media Mm. could be well I'm not gonna look at social media after nine o'clock at night or I'm you know or maybe I'm gonna switch off my phone that's (gasps) that's a boundary I need definitely (laughs) (laughs) there's always that one more thing that I want to do when I'm in bed and one more thing that turns into an hour and a half of you trying to do something on your phone and then you get uh, stuck in that hole mm. and then you realize, oh, I need to go to bed. Totally. Yeah. I often think that even with our boundaries with other people, where it starts is asking ourselves, am I honoring this boundary? Mm. What am I doing to honor my own boundary? Because if I'm not honoring it, then how can I expect other people to? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, totally. If I don't respect myself, why would anybody else respect me? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you also mentioned in your book, if I'm not mistaken, that sometimes people might have conflicting values and that's why it's hard for them to create healthy boundaries. Um, is there any way to actually find out what my true values are, the my core, the most important values that um, I want to lead my life by? Mm. There are different ways of identifying your true values. Uh, you know, one way of doing it is to literally brainstorm it. Like you can Google lists of core values and just see like which ones resonate with you. Mm-hmm. So then you can, you know, you might end up with a list of five or 50 values that you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can identify with these. And then see if you can hone it down to 10. Mm. And then see if you can hone it down to five. <laughs> and then I would suggest unpacking them because, for example, if you had a value of, say, peace, that's that's my, my top value, mm. peace, that will mean different things to different people. Yeah. So it's really useful to understand what that means for you, for your life, for your relationships, for your career for different areas of your life because then like once you've identified your values you can see actually am I living in alignment with my values in these different areas of my life or not and to me you know your values are really key to living in alignment with your own truth and that's one of the things that we really want to come back to when we're recovering from people pleasing Mm. beautiful is it normal to feel guilty when you start creating boundaries yes (laughs) yes when you're not used to setting boundaries then it's really normal to feel guilty, mm. like really normal. So if you feel guilty when you set a boundary, then welcome to the club. Um, <laughs> it doesn't mean that you should stop setting the boundary, though. But I think that's where I used to go wrong, because I would think, oh, I'm feeling guilty. So therefore, you know, feeling guilty is when you do something wrong, right? Yeah. So so I must be doing something wrong so it was quite a revelation for me to learn that actually you know just because I feel guilty like that shouldn't be I shouldn't be led around by that emotion that's not the whole truth I might feel guilty but that isn't coming from like this present moment experience it's because somebody has instilled in me in the past that I shouldn't set a boundary. I should Mm. put other people's expectations before my own. And so this feeling of guilt is, is old. 
Mm. Like it's it's telling me something about my past and it's telling me I've probably got some stuff to work through, <laughs> but it shouldn't stop me from setting my boundary now. Yeah, I definitely felt guilty when I started creating boundaries. Uh, and, and in a way you feel, is that really how life should look like? Am I, am I supposed to be not good to other people? Because that's how you can label it. I'm, not, I'm being not good to somebody else because I don't allow them to walk over me and I'm not people pleasing. And yeah, I definitely felt guilt when I started learning about boundaries and creating some boundaries in my life. But it's uh, it's so liberating. It's such a liberating feeling once you get through that initial period of those uh, difficult emotions. You just create a totally different life with a little bit of rules for yourself and how other people uh, treat you. I like to compare it to dogs a little bit because dogs need clear boundaries as well to be healthy and happy. And some people don't have them. Sometimes you allow your dog to sit on the couch and sometimes you don't and they are confused. Mm. And people people think that uh, giving boundaries to the dogs is they feel guilty because I'm, I'm not treating him well, telling him off and this and that. But dogs actually need boundaries mm. and rules to be healthy and know what's allowed and what not. And I think there is a lot of um, sort of symmetry in that, in how we operate as well. Um, I like... I like this saying that you quoted in your book as well. So I would like you to comment on that. No is a complete sentence. (laughs) No is a complete sentence. We don't have to explain ourselves to everyone. (laughs) If we don't want to do something, then we can simply say no. Now, there may be people in your life that you want to add a comma, like you want to, you want to maybe give a little bit of explanation of like why you perhaps can't help them with something, but it's, it's knowing who those people in your life are, like not everyone in your life needs or deserves a follow-up explanation. Mm. Like, like, yeah, if I'm, if I'm talking with my partner, he asked me to do something and I just say no, then to me, that would come off as rather harsh. Yeah. <laughs> I would want to explain, you know, because I, because of our relationship. Whereas, I don't know, if it was, say, a, a stranger offering to buy me a drink in a bar, I say no. I don't, need sentence. To ex- <laughs> I don't need to explain yeah. why <laughs> I don't owe them anything why do you think we, we feel that need to explain ourselves and justify our existence I think it's very common with people pleasers isn't it everything I have to say why I can't see you tomorrow be- because of this and that and that and that and the explanation I found that is never good enough for somebody else who's used to you being there always. So why do you think that is? I think it's because we have got used to not having boundaries. And so it feels like, it feels like such a huge deal to exert a boundary that we Mm. feel like we have to justify it. We feel like, you know, we have to explain it because otherwise that, the other person won't understand and they won't accept it just for what it is whereas you know a healthy person will accept your boundaries as you were saying you know it's people that maybe took advantage of you not having boundaries that won't like you having a boundary and may push for an explanation but they're not they're not looking for an explanation to understand they're looking for an explanation so that they can then pick holes in it yeah and talk you out of your boundary Mm, yeah (laughs) i found that when i was younger and relating to work um whenever somebody would ask me to stay longer i would always say yes and then when i started well what i thought was creating boundaries i would i would ex- exactly happens what you said you would explain i i can't because this why why can't you do it tomorrow because of that well, well you know, and and it always ended me doing whatever they wanted me to do it doesn't matter what my explanation was 
exactly what you said. It is because they want to pick holes and eventually get you to do what they want you to do. So now I'm very wary of that. And if I explain something and if somebody thinks, well, you can do it the other way or the other time or whatever, make sure that they understand no, because this is important to me, more important than what you want me to do. And I think where uh, this is where um, um, a lot of the change sits. It's realizing that some things are more important to you um, than maybe whatever somebody else wants you to do. Um, what do you think are what do you think are uh, is important to create a healthy relationship? What things are? Let me ask again. Sorry, because I'm I'm mumbling a little bit. What do you think is important? to create a healthy relationship? Oh, what a beautiful question. Thank you. I love talking about healthy relationships. <laughs> Let's talk about healthy relationships. <laughs> I love talking about them because I was so bad at them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm now like obsessed with healthy relationships and, and helping other people understand them. Uh, to me, you know, healthy relationship, you know, things that make a healthy relationship work are respect so you know I might not have the same opinion as you but I respect the fact that you hold your opinion I'm not going to try and persuade you to think otherwise mm. there's boundaries <laughs> boundaries because I used to think that you know if I erect a boundary then it's going to damage the relationship it's going to push the other person away whereas a healthy loving relationship is always going to have boundaries we need the boundaries for that safety for knowing that we we can go so far with someone and then we know where the line is mm. um yeah and and yeah we could talk about boundaries probably for ages because there are lots of different <laughs> kinds that come into it but that's an important one um open communication and in particular open emotional communication because particularly with you know with intimate relationships you know, i i see couples that you know they, they end up talking about like the practical practical stuff yeah. You know, like who's gonna take out the bin or yeah. who's gonna cook dinner you know who's gonna take the kids to school but they stop talking about actually how they're feeling um they if a, if a, if they're annoyed about something they'll sweep it under the carpet because you know they they just don't want to deal with it or they they don't have the time and this all builds up Whereas you know we want to we want to nip issues in the bud like we need to say when things are not okay. We need to be able to speak up for what we need. Mm. Mm. I think that's a part that's missing very often. Looking at my past relationships, what I observe with my friends when I talk to them, quite often that conversation is missing about how am I feeling. Um, very often, even if one person does something that the other don't like, what will happen is they'll start arguing. You did this and you did that, blah, blah, blah. And it escalates. And then we talk about how in 1975, I gave you a pound and you never gave it back. Or how did you speak to my mother this way, blah, 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 20 years ago. Um, instead of speaking about you did this and it made me feel that way because of that where we get, get to the bottom of the issue and resolve it. Um, how can you start a conversation like that with somebody when you're in a relationship and you get to know each other? How? What kind of advice would you give to somebody to start talking to their partners about feelings? Oh, another great question. So... This is like a, a bit of a generalization. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Why but, not? Yeah. Um, but generally in our society, like men aren't so good at speaking about their feelings. Yeah. Um, whereas women tend to be more conversant talking about feelings. Yeah. Um, and so we need to bridge the gap in a way that is comfortable for 
both <laughs> so it's a bit like it's a bit like you know trying to bridge the gap and do it in a way yeah do it in a way that feels comfortable for both and so one way of just starting this would be to literally ask your partner or whoever it is how are you feeling right now like one word one word answer and then once they've thought about that and answered to ask them what else are you feeling it's a really good question what else are you feeling it opens up the the, the door for exploration how am i actually feeling and it's not too intense you know because yeah. like well certainly for me you know i can i can talk about feelings and all yeah. for ages but but like for for somebody that's not used to talking about their feelings perhaps having a really long intense conversation like they're not gonna want to go there or they might not be able to whereas if you just ask them like one word how are you feeling they can probably identify that and then if you ask them what else they can probably identify that too and as you say it just it opens up room for a conversation about that mm. yeah. the magic of coaching questions right open questions there you go um you mentioned something that i i agree with um that men are usually not as good um when it comes to talking about their feelings comparing to women, I think we're getting a little bit better, but we still have a long way to go. Um, I think historically between men talking about feelings and talking about um, emotions were, I think it was associated with weakness, showing vulnerability from a perspective of a female to all the guys out there. How do you perceive Ladies, when guys talk about their feelings and emotions. Mm. Yeah, I think it's quite complicated, Sam. Is it? <laughs> because, because like we, we all want a guy that's in touch with his feelings, yeah. you know, in touch with his sensitivity. Um, and, and we say that. But then what happens like, if you actually find a guy that is in touch with his feelings? Like, are we are we really ready for that? you know because we're so used to guys that you know their main go-to emotion is is anger mm -hmm. you know like and they'll express that about I don't know a football match or something um or you know or they're happy and then there's maybe not much else and so I think I think we do have to be careful what we ask for <laughs> because I know for myself like you know I'm now much more in touch with my feelings than I used to be yeah and you know that means like I cry a lot I, cry. <laughs> I need I, I you know I'm a highly sensitive person and I, I I you know I'm I'm up I'm down I'm all over the place I'm like do I could I really handle a guy that's that's really in touch with his emotions and I okay I think it's I think it's a really interesting question. I, I think it's a it's a it's a wonderful journey to be going on together. Yeah. I didn't expect answer like that, to be honest. I, I, I thought that you will either say that it's uh yeah, we like it and we it's attractive, or you would say, well, no, I prefer a guy who just take an axe, go and chop a tree, make it into firewood and go and hunt a buffalo to feed the family um but it's it's a, it's a really good it's a, it's a really good eye opener because it 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 in my way in my thinking it takes a little bit of pressure off men um the pressure that you have to talk about your feelings because that's what women uh, expect because we may feel like you're ready for that but what you just did is said that maybe it's not as easy as that and maybe ladies have some work to do as well so i think the answer is somewhere in the middle when we come together and we talk about each other feelings um in in a positive and supportive way mm. yeah maybe and i think i think we also need spaces for you know for men to get together 
yeah to, to be able to talk about these things and also spaces for women to do the same um I, I i do think that really helps yeah yeah guys to get together and talk about cars and and uh football and women talk about shoes and bags yeah <laughs> that's, that's a big generalization really what I meant. <laughs> that's a big generalization and stereo i i have a feeling you'll come back and buy me my butt it's just a joke everybody's really. just a joke i'm not i'm not that opinionated uh, um I really appreciate you being here with me today. It was amazingly interesting conversation. Um, I want to ask you, what, what do you have going on for you at the moment? And how can people find you? What's the best way to find you if somebody wants to work with you? Okay, yeah. Um, so the best way for someone to find me is my website, which is helensnape.com. Uh, what I've got going on. <laughs> Uh, so what I've been working on most recently is creating a, a membership for people pleasing women to reclaim their voice, their power and their peace. Beautiful. To learn, yeah, to learn to say no without the guilt and like actually be able to stand up for what you really want in life. Yeah. So I'm that's relatively new I just started that in July and it's and it's beautiful and because it's for me it's it's enabling me to bring together like everything that I've been learning on my own journey and, and through studies and everything into helping other women on their recovery journeys yeah yeah beautiful um what I can say is thank you so much for your time really interesting conversation um i want to see what comes next i follow you on social media and there's always some really good content from you about relationships specifically and people pleasing which i have been plagued with previously i consider myself a recovering people pleaser as well um thank you very much for your time and good luck with your new uh, group i'm sure it will do fantastic and again if anybody is interested in Helen's audiobook, you can get it from her website for free and it's really interesting. I would recommend. Thank you very much, Helen, for your time. And Thank I you. wish you all the best. Thank you, Sam. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Good to know. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs>